welcome back to the latest episode of In With The Old and our series on Ruth. I've been enjoying the series so far. It's been so great to be in the biblical text, going verse by verse, providing a video commentary on the Word of God. This is getting into, I think, what Dr. Tim and I both really love about the text, and we hope that the series has already proved to be a blessing for you. Our podcast is focused on dispelling myths, building appreciation for God's Word, especially in a series like this, and helping you rediscover the Old Testament for your life and your faith. I'm joined as ever by the inestimable Dr. Tim Howe. Dr. Tim, how are you doing today? Welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Dr. Brian. You're looking very pa uh, professorial today. So uh, way to be, looking good and ready to dive into the text. Uh, what a joy. We get to look at the Word of God and, uh, and do so with a good friend. So I'm ready to go, man. Amen. Uh, just before we started, I was talking to Tim that, you know what? There's been some anxiety being driven in my day today about some things going on. Literally, Tim, as soon as we press record, it is going away because we're coming to the word of God and the peace that passes all of understanding is here. So listeners, let's get on into the text. Today's section, we're looking at the book of Ruth, chapter one, verses eight through 15. And I want to read those for us from the Christian Standard Bible. Naomi said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. Now they said to her, we insist on returning with you and to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who, become, who could become husbands to you? Return home, my daughters. Go on for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. Today's section is focused on the character of Naomi. And in fact, the next three sections, we're going to be introduced to the three central figures of this book, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. To get us started on who Naomi is, Tim, what are the first things we see from our passage about this character? Yeah, great, great question, Brian. And just a couple of notes. As we think about the text, of course, any division we choose is going to be somewhat arbitrary, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah. we pick these verses, and I just want to notice there's a huge change of pace, right? The mm. first several verses are introductory. They describe 10 years plus in the land of Moab. Now we have uh, what we might call a telescoping or a narrative device by which the pace slows. We hear the dialogue between Naomi and her daughters-in-law. And this is just a principle worth pointing out that as the narrator characterizes or develops the character of Naomi, he does so using her dialogue as a narrative device. And so the narrative is powerful. We're meant to pay attention to every word. And as we, we think about this, I'm going to throw out three things uh, that I believe we see in Naomi. And pastorally, I love alliteration. So I'm going to throw out some, some L's for us. Uh, the first thing we see is that there's a genuine love, that Naomi loves her daughters-in-law. Mm. 
And we see that that's mutual, that's reciprocated between Orpah and Ruth and Naomi. There's a, a true and genuine affection that they have for each other. So the first is love. We also see loyalty. And by loyalty, I mean, Naomi is not only concerned about herself, she's concerned about the interests of her daughter, daughters-in-law. And, and we see this, by the way, as we're, we're going to read through the rest of, of Ruth 1, we see that the, this word kesed, we're going to talk about that more, but kesed is this idea of God's loyalty, his covenantal faithfulness. But we see uh, Naomi invoke this, but basically invoking a blessing upon her daughters-in-law saying, may God show you kesed as you have shown kesed to the dead. Uh, mm. And we see this fierce loyalty where Naomi is willing to put the interests of her daughters-in-law above her own. And then we see lament. And, and this is where our heart breaks for Naomi as, as she looks to her life, as she sees there seems to be no outlet. There seems to be no end to my shame. We see her lamenting, uh, taking her offense before God, uh, very likely taking responsibility for it. But as we think about her character as a whole, we see these words, we see this flow of emotion, and we see all three of these, love, loyalty, uh, and lament. We see her heart really coming out and gushing out as she comes in this space of returning to uh, her homeland and, and returning to a, a bitter state of life. So all three of those, I'd love to, to flesh those out a little bit more. But as we think about Naomi, we see a character who is, in a sense, a woman in full. She has all of these emotions. It's a mixed bag. It's very difficult. This is this is meant to pull on our heartstrings. Uh, and, and we see that in a lot of ways, don't we, Brian? We do. One of the things in the section, Tim, you already brought up the word chesed, with, mm -hmm. which means like covenant fidelity, faithfulness. We'll tease that out a little bit. Mm -hmm. One of the things I see, too, in this presentation of Naomi is a key term. Listeners, we're going to see each of the chapters of the book of Ruth has a term that is repeated a lot in that chapter and then not as much in the rest of the book. That kind of gives us a, uh, a lexical theme, as it were. Mm -hmm. The word we see here repeated several times is the word to return, shuv. Uh, in the CSB I just wrote, it says go back. Uh, mm -hmm. This is an interesting term that this is now the return, because that's what's going to be the kickoff of the story. Basically, up to verse 8, we have prologue, as it were, right? The past mm -hmm. is prologue. This is setting up the return of Naomi, and most importantly, of Ruth to Bethlehem. That's where our story is going to take place. There's also, Tim, I think, a double entendre or a wordplay, maybe, that is a better way to put it. Shuv is also the word we can use to repent. Mm. We talked about in last episode, Tim, right, that being away from the promised land at the very least is unwise. Elimelech's mm -hmm. choice, Naomi's choice, uh, and at worst, it is sin. And here I see a, an interesting call back to that. We are now going to have to return, repent from some of these choices to come back mm -hmm. to the place where God had established us in Bethlehem. Right. And only then will we begin to see the prosperity for mm -hmm. these characters. So that kind of draw, draws us through, and you bring that out in your three L's, and I wasn't going to point out that, of course, the pastor gave us three alliterated <laughs> points, but sure, you did it. Um, <laughs> her lament, she is a, quite aware, I think, in this uh, passage that she has sinned and mm -hmm. is being punished for that sin. Uh, and she's going to even say, right, you should call me by a new name. We'll get to that. But um, there's some interesting things going on here. So let's dig into the text a little bit, Tim, and kind of go verse by verse to flesh out these overall points. 
Yeah. Naomi starts by telling her daughters to go back to mm -hmm. their family's house. First of all, I noticed something, and Tim, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I noticed yeah. that she calls them daughters, not yes. daughters-in-law. And it's mm -hmm. not like maybe that's a cultural thing. They don't have that term. No, no. She uses sister-in-law to refer mm -hmm. to Orpah later uh, from Ruth's perspective, but she calls them daughters. Mm -hmm. Tim, what do you flesh that out for a little, us a little bit? What do you make of that? Yeah, it's actually very interesting. And I think it's a, an important point because three times the narrator describes them as her daughters-in-law, but mm -hmm. three times Naomi describes them as her daughters. So in, in essence, she is saying, you are as daughters to me. Um, and, and again, we see that that building up of that love. She is, she is saying, throw out the daughters-in-law tag. I am treating you as my daughters. And in fact, it, the act of putting their interests above her own shows how much she loves them. In other words, my plight is too bitter for you. Go back to a place where you'll be loved, respected, affirmed, accepted, and have the best chance of finding a husband. Don't follow me. So I think that's a great point, Ryan. Yeah, it is. It does seem to be quite intentional, right? We even said at the overview, words matter, word choice matters. And it's quite interesting to see that, that change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Tim, she says that her daughters have shown chesed to her. Now, yeah. chesed is one of those, uh, depending on the translation you've grown up with, is translated something like loving kindness, which I still remember as a youth pastor, one of my kids saying, this is the most made up word I've ever heard. What is loving <laughs> kindness? Uh, and I was at least somewhat sympathetic. It is a difficult word to translate out of Hebrew. Yeah. What does this term mean? Can you maybe help unpack it? that for us a little bit and why it matters both here and for the Old Testament? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question and a huge topic. And, and yeah, yeah. the basic answer is Kessid can mean different things in different contexts, right? And that's true of mm -hmm. every word, but particularly in, in this context, we're going to see the, the book of Ruth develop around the idea of God's Kessid. And the mm -hmm. question is going to become, does God only show his faithfulness to his people or does he show his faithfulness to all people? Does he, he, he demonstrate that kind of chesed to people who are even outside of the covenant, covenant community? And this is the example I think of every time I think of the word chesed, right? Uh, it, it goes back to that idea of covenantal love. It, it's not the idea of a whimsical love or, or kind of movement with the wind. It's God being uh, faithful to the words that he has decreed. Uh, but I, I think of this often. I think of the book of Jonah, uh, and here's why. Because Jonah, mm. at the end of the book, he actually says of God, he says, God, I know your character. I know that you're slow to anger and rich in love. And, and he used the word kesed there. And, and he was saying that not just as God's sort of arbitrary expression of his nature only to his people, but Jonah recognized that that's just who God is. God is a God of faithfulness. God is a God who loves to show mercy. It's not just that he happens to, it's that he loves to show mercy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's what, that is the character of God that, that Ruth is banking her life on in this text. And it is interesting because, because Naomi doesn't just say, well, I hope that God shows you faithfulness or shows you loyalty. She explicitly says, may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown it to the dead and to me. And so th there's this sense of, I want God to bless you in keeping with the blessing that you have been. 
I want God to show loyalty to you in the same way that you have shown loyalty to me. And the rest of the book, in a sense, uh, could be seen as a summary or a description of the chesed of Ruth that in turn reflects uh, in, in, I don't want to say merits, but in, in turn, uh, in turn brings to the forefront, the chesed of God. So, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's an incredibly important term, uh, and, and it's one that's worth highlighting. Absolutely. Yeah. So that we, we see that in verse eight listeners, if you're following along, mm -hmm. right. And, um, and in verse nine, Naomi gives this beautiful wish for her daughters, right. That the Lord would grant them rest. Mm -hmm. Now, why is Naomi so insistent on both Orpah and Ruth going back? Well, she expands that a little bit more in verse 11 in that following section. Mm -hmm. So we've mentioned last time, Tim, I think, right, that Naomi is well aware a difficult journey is facing her. She has to yes. travel back to Bethlehem. That's not an inconsequential journey. It's not mm -hmm. going across the world, but it's not a short journey. Mm -hmm. Might be some difficulty there. Once she returns... She is not expecting a warm welcome, right? Mm -hmm. and, and do picture this, right? If you're a small, close-knit community, and when the going gets tough, one family leaves, mm -hmm. how well are you going to greet them when times turn around, things are finally going well for you, and then they come back? Mm -hmm. Oh, here comes, you know, Elimelech and Naomi. Boy, they're just fair-weather fans. They're only here when the times are good, um, right? Because they would not necessarily know all the bad things that have uh, befallen yeah. Naomi and her family at this point. Yeah. She's well aware that there's some difficulties ahead of her. She's also well aware that these two women, uh, Orpah and Ruth, are maybe best served by going back home. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. this is uh, for both religious reasons, which we'll get into in a second, but also for marriage reasons. Uh, we can infer from this text, I think, Tim, right? Both Orpah and Ruth are younger, still in childbearing age. Um, mm -hmm. but Naomi is either not or at the end of childbearing age. Mm -hmm. And she has this kind of odd thing of like, wait, even if I were to get pregnant right now and have sons, would you wait for them? She's mm -hmm. actually referring to a practice called a Leverite marriage. So mm -hmm. Tim, we see this a couple times in the Old Testament where if a brother dies, if there's another brother, he is to marry that widow. Mm -hmm. Um, that feels maybe kind of odd in our modern culture. Um, but what was some of the logic maybe behind Leverite marriages in the Old Testament? Yeah, so Leverite marriage is really a practice that's appropriate in an honor-shame culture where if someone dies, particularly a brother, someone would come, a relative, in order to redeem that family line. We're going to see this later in Ruth. Uh, quite to important redeem later. and yeah. continue the name of the person who died. Uh, to basically preserve their honor in the the community, um, and and part of that too, I, I think uh, I think we miss this sometimes. But part of that is, in a sense, a validation that say what happened to that person was not because of a curse of God, but mm -hmm. maybe because of a natural occurrence. Um, and so it's it's basically an honor mechanism by which the name of the family can continue to receive honor. And it was also uh, seen as beneficiary to essentially everyone. The wife received honor uh, by being able to bear a child. Therefore, she had protection in a society where there was no uh, social network or, uh, you know, social safety net. Um, and the family could receive honor in showing that they weren't under the curse of God. So I think all of those elements are contained in the idea of leveret marriage. In uh, in our culture, kinds of twists this. You know, we we tend to think of that as strange because of the sexual connotation of say, you know, it, it had nothing to do with the romantic elements of it. In mm -hmm. fact, 
when we look in Genesis, uh, what we see is that there's incredible evil whenever a particular brother takes advantage of this, right? Uh, right. And uses that as an exploitation for his own sexual lusts rather than uh, honoring honoring the wife. And so, of course, Judah's son dies. We see that, you know, uh, in the later chapters of the book of Genesis. Um, mm -hmm. So this is a custom basically to uphold the honor of the family line as well as to ensure that women who lose their husbands are not destitute for the rest of their lives. And those are all really important points to bear in mind to see mm -hmm. what Naomi's saying. She's saying, don't let my family go. Uh, in some sense, she's saying, let my family die off, right? Don't let our name be preserved. Um, yeah. I'm going to go back. You go back to your families. It will mm -hmm. be better for you. And, and here, as Tim said, the, the three L's of Naomi, she mm -hmm. loves her daughters-in-law. She has a great sense of loyalty to their interests rather than just her family or her own, right? Yeah. This statement from her is trying to put them first. She's looking mm -hmm. out for their interests, um, which then leads to kind of her, the end in verses uh, 13 and 14, where she starts kind of lamenting. Here mm -hmm. is what's going to come uh, about me. It's interesting, Tim, right? That Orpa, after hearing mm -hmm. this logic, does go back to her family. Only right. Ruth, as we're going to see and we'll expand next time, uh, mm -hmm. clings to her. Now, I did want to just make a point uh, and Tim, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this if you agree with me. I don't yeah. see that Orpah is ever rebuked for this choice, and I don't think that's the point of the book. It does yeah. make a good deal of sense for her to go back and even for Ruth to have gone back. But that's yeah. then the key. The key is not that Orpah made a bad choice, but that Ruth is going the extra mile um, right. and that she is going above and beyond. And in her character, which we'll focus on next time, this is the thing that is going to be highlighted in her. Um, so at least between the two sisters-in-laws, uh, I don't think you have a good and a bad example. I would avoid that sort of reading. But right. simply, Orpah makes the common sense choice, but Ruth is going to cling to something greater than just merely common sense. Uh, would you agree with that? Would you rephrase that in any way? What, what would you think about that, Tim? Totally. No, I completely agree with that. And in a sense, what she's doing is an act of obeisance and honor to Naomi. You know, mm. Naomi is insistent that this is what you need to do. She, she commands them. It's in an imperative form. Return. Go back. Yeah. Don't follow me. And so Orpah, again, loves her, kisses her, and says, okay, I'll do it. But Ruth here basically, you know, and we're going to talk about this next episode, but she says, no, I'm willing to assume this risk. In fact, I'm not just willing. I am going to enter into what is amounts to a covenant with you. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to abandon you. And in that sense, yes, uh, Orpah, Orpah is not seen at all in a negative light in this text. She does what her mother-in-law says. Um, and yes, she goes back to Moab. But this, this is the choice that 99% of people would have made. Oh, sure. Because it was the only choice that made sense in that social context. What Ruth did would have been seen as social suicide. And in part, uh, Naomi knew that. Naomi mm -hmm. knew. Th and, and think of this, that... When it comes to finding a husband, it wasn't just the fact that Naomi wouldn't be able to produce a husband in terms of leveret marriage, but also who's going to want to marry a Moabitess in Bethlehem? Like, right, like exactly. she explained to it, your odds here are none. There is no future. There is no point in this. Go back to your people. But I think it's important when she says, and go back to your gods. And, yeah. and that's where Ruth's character shines all the more because she is unwilling to do that not just to go back to her people or her mother's house or to you know the may the odds be ever in your favor in moab no she says 
I am going to follow you wherever you go, uh, and your God will be my God. Yes, very good point, because there is, as we come to the end of this passage, uh, the theology begins to take shape. We see Naomi beginning to be aware that she has sinned against Yahweh specifically, and that she is showing an awareness and acceptance of the consequences, even knowing that the consequences will be dire. Interestingly enough, I think that is foreshadowing of a key trait that a descendant of theirs will have, King Mm. David. What sets him apart, apart from Saul is not that he sinned less than Saul, but he had an awareness of accepting consequences for his sin. Naomi's accepting it. She's trying to get as many people, her sisters or her daughters-in-law, out of the consequence. Don't take part in this with me. Um, But she's going to accept it and face the music, as it were, as she comes back. Yeah. Going back, though, for Ruth and for Orpah would mean not just a change of location, a change of nationality, but a change of faith. Mm -hmm. Moab worships worships, uh, Kemosh, I believe. I didn't write that down. Yeah. Um, But they have a different god. We're going to see, and this is as maybe the lead into next time, we're going to see that Ruth's clinging to Naomi is not merely out of loyalty to a person, but a change of allegiance for her faith. She is going to place her trust not just in an abstract concept, but in the name of Yahweh that she's going to call out to. But that's going to be for next time as we introduce the character of Ruth. So Tim, looking back at the section on Naomi, She is someone who is a loving person, a loyal person, but also lamenting as we are introduced to her. Final thoughts for this section for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, we our hearts go out to Naomi. One final thought that's a little bit technical, but I I think worth just stating briefly. You mentioned that the the Hebrew word shuv is the the key word for for this Mm. section. And I think that's absolutely true. Just something for our listeners. Oftentimes what happens is the same Hebrew word is translated in a variety of ways in English. And that's really unfortunate. At times it may be necessary, but but that's one of the values. If you're interested in, in going the next step and learning Hebrew, those things become a little bit more obvious when you're reading in the original languages, as opposed to trusting in the decision of the English translators. So for instance, go back, return, that's the same Hebrew word, Shoot. even though it's translated variously in English. So uh, again, there's just a, a narrative beauty to this idea of there being a word motif. And of course, as Brian said, that has to do not just with the physical return to a location, but also in a sense, this entire journey is Naomi returning to her belief in the faithfulness of God. And that's what we're going to see work itself out through the rest of the story. Absolutely. Thank you so much for putting that in. Orpah in verse 15 listens to Naomi and shoves to her people and to her gods. Mm -hmm. Ruth will not, though. She will return to Yahweh. And that's going to be kind of the focus of our talk next time as we look at the end of chapter one of the book of Ruth. Listeners, we hope this journey into the text and kind of a verse-by-verse commentary is helpful to you. We encourage you to dive on in. Send us questions, uh, comment on this video, or reach out to us. We hope the biblical text Uh, enlivens you and illuminates your life. Until next time, friends, stay cool and stay old.